Imagine knowing exactly what your students are learning and exactly which steps you need to take next. Join us in Down With The Reading Quiz to craft meaningful and productive formative assessments that move away from gotcha moments of basic recall and toward assessing what your students actually can do. In this 30-minute free masterclass, we'll share three powerful assessment keys that work for any novel at any time of the year. Head to shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to sign up, and we'll also send you a free workbook to keep track of all your notes. Once again, that's shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to nail formative assessments forever. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Marie. What are you up to later? Want to join me for happy hour? I'm all in. And guess what's amazing? Our listeners and friends of the podcast can also join us because Brave New Teaching Happy Hour has officially launched. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. We are officially hanging out a little bit longer after school with an extended extra private podcast feed just for you. Yes. Members of Happy Hour get extra 15 minutes of the podcast, give or take, because you know us, we run a little bit long. It's just kind of how we are. But if you would like to get in on this Happy Hour action, please join us. It is only $5 a month. Head to curriculumrehab.com slash happy hour and get yourself signed up because when you're there, Amanda, tell our friends what we do every month for our Happy Hour members. I think my favorite part is coming up with a new free resource for our listeners every month. And then we pretty much break down that resource and how to use it. We also like to have guests on to do extended episodes and even Q&A that's just for you about that resource. It's really exclusive and super private just for you. So if you are like us and you like hanging out, you like chit-chatting about all things that are teaching, teacher life, and everything under that umbrella, join us for happy hour and we will see you there. Bye. Bye. Well, hello and welcome back to Brave New Teaching and welcome back to another episode in our nonfiction series. Hi, Amanda. Hey, Marie. How are you? I am. I am okay. <laughs> I haven't been updating our audience too much because the first two weeks of school have been like just uh, insane. It's we've got a whole thing going on. Our air conditioning is completely broken in our school and the middle school that we share an HVAC system with, which some people listen and go, oh, boo hoo. What did people ever do before there was air conditioning? Well, they probably didn't have 41 teenagers in a room and we developed the technology for a reason. So like, it's just been a rough, headachey, hard to have instruction kind of a couple weeks as temperatures have been in the 90s and we've been indoors and it's been rough. How are you? All I have to say is this is just another reason to not live in California. I mean, I can't help it, but see another natural disaster reason to get oh out. <laughs> I'm just teasing. You no, make literally no sense. The air conditioning is not the natural disaster. Um, no, I'm good. Um, things over here are are good. They're, we're finally healthy. Uh, my family was sick for a while, um, and we're going through our own little... It's not little. It's a big transition. You know, my kids are transitioning out big. of their out of their yeah. daycare into a preschool on Monday. So I know I know I'm feeling it. The kids are feeling it too, but they, you know, certainly can't express exactly how they're feeling. So there have been a lot of emotions to sort out. So we're we're doing our thing. I'm 
you know, working through some really cool, fun units right now. It's, I don't know. I love the, I love the emerging fall. This season is just, I don't know. It's, it's my favorite by far. And I'm, I'm trying to live my best life right now. Good. Yeah. We do love a good fall around here. Don't we? It's just, it's nice. We love all things fall. And right now it's really cloudy, but I can see the sun starting to peek through. So we're just going to enjoy the cool air until it's not anymore. I think I enjoy like school wise too. Like there's like, there's so much tension in that, like the back to school, everything's new, getting out of your summer brain into school. And then, and then like September and October, you do find that, okay, this is how we roll. Now we're moving now, you know, things start to churn along with like a predictability and you feel like you're back in your flow. And I always loved getting over the hump of back to school. Like you're still like in the hump, uh, but once you get like over it and you're probably like what right now when people are listening, hopefully you found your flow and you're just feeling more like, all right, I'm in my patterns. I'm in my, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. And it just feels a little bit more, a little bit more more manageable. Nothing's ever manageable, but a little bit more manageable. Well, like, and at the time of recording, this is the end. I just finished my second week of school. So it's been like that mad dash, like Amanda's saying, and we've had these like (laughs) issues that are just really interrupting instructional minutes. Um, And so by the time you all are listening to this, we will have hit our stride and be well on our way to an amazing, amazing class session. Okay, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. So we are talking today about nonfiction texts, using them in the classroom as standalone units, using them supplementarily sup- as supplements. <laughs> Same what? Thing. Yep. To like fiction and other sorts of texts that you are using. Today, though, in this series, we are going to hone in on biography and memoir specifically, those specific nonfiction texts, and using them as mentor texts. And we have some different ideas that come from our classrooms. And we have also crowdsourced some great ideas from some friends of the podcast. We love ourselves a good collabisode here at Brave New Teaching. And so that is what we have for you today. Amanda, should we dive in? Let's go, babe. All right. First, let's cue the music. You're listening to Brave New Teaching, and we are so much more than a podcast. We give teachers the inspiration, support, and tools to challenge the status quo. I'm Amanda, and I'm a former English teacher from Illinois. And I'm Marie, and I'm a teacher from Southern California. Join us at bravenewteaching.com to find out more about our courses, festivals, and get every episode's show notes. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. Okay, friends. So when we are talking about nonfiction texts, specifically biography and memoir, we're talking about using them as mentor texts in our classrooms. I feel like it would behoove us to take a moment and talk about what we mean by mentor texts. I think it's one of those edubabble things that happens, especially in the ELA world, that we all kind of like talk about, but like might not exactly all have the same definition and therefore like uses for mentor text. So I feel like that would be helpful to start there. And then we are going to give you some ideas of mentor text that Amanda has used in her classroom, the way that I've used them. And then we have our friends that are uh, contributing today's collabisode. So Amanda, when I say mentor texts, what comes to mind? What are your classroom uses? What are you doing with that? Primarily, when I hear you say that, my, my quick interpretation, the way that I use it the most is texts worth students imitating. 
So it's a text that has something to teach kids that they will use. Like the whole purpose is not about the reading, really. It's about deconstructing, whether it's at the very small sentence level, because like certainly like there, there are great like grammatical kinds of lessons to use with mentor texts and right students looking at the sentence level. But I think also at the the structural level of something a little bit longer, where students would be looking at that text as a mentor for something that they are going to do. That's me. I'm with you. And preview friends, next week's episode is going to be all about student writing and the product that students can make when it comes to nonfiction text. So today is kind of like gearing up for next week. This is a whole nonfiction series, but like these two episodes, 119 and 120s next week, are like little sisters. Little sisters. And I'm putting my fingers together in a weird way to make sisters. So exactly like Amanda said, they're texts that are worth imitating. And length, it just depends on your purpose, like what you want to be actually having students imitate, what sorts of a skill Always, 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 when we're looking at a mentor text or anything like that, we're always going to come back to skills. What are the skills that students are either acquiring or practicing or refining, right? Like, what is it that we are trying to actually hone in our students? Then finding a mentor text for that purpose is going to be a lot straighter of a path than just saying, oh, here's a great nonfiction. Like, here's a great biography. This is going to be a mentor text. If you don't know what it's a mentor text for, then you're kind of like missing the point. I think for me, the, the place that mentor texts usually come into play, especially in a unit for biography and memoir, is when students are going to write their own. So if you're going to have your summative as students writing their own memoirs or their own personal narratives or whatever you're going to call uh-huh. it, whether it's a, a mini or a large version of that, it makes sense to study a variety of different memoirs over the course of the unit. So students are getting practice with different skills, techniques, approaches to eventually doing their own. Um, and that's the, you know, way if I'm, if you're picturing your calendar, you know, at a glance, um, you know, I always have my summative is at the end. And then the weeks leading up to it, I would try to have, you know, for me, this would kind of be like a close reading lesson. The, yep. the reading, right, is reading through the piece, noting what's being done. And then in this, because the assessment is writing their own memoir, they're not going to do an analysis of what they've read. They're going to do an imitation of what they read. And so that would probably, for me, need at least once a week practice. So I'd be looking for, in a particular unit, at least three to four mentor texts. And that's especially if I'm doing a choice unit. So if the kids are all reading something different, these mentor texts would be what we're doing together. If we're all reading the same memoir biography, the mentor text would probably be from that whole class text, but you're picking and choosing specific sections to focus on because they teach parallel structure, because they demonstrate clearly how to use a flashback, because they demonstrate a really great use of first person narration, right? Whatever, whatever those things are that you're going to ask them to do in the summative, that's guiding the way I pick and choose around my mentor texts. Absolutely. Well, and so one of the things that you said that I want to really like pinpoint, because this is what I was going to say as well, it's the similar use, is that we are using mentor texts throughout a unit in order to be able to go back to them whenever students are going to be doing the writing. So like Amanda had kind of mentioned, maybe it's weekly practice in the unit that she's creating. I have done this with like short story narratives or like eh, very, very short narratives uh, with ninth graders. Uh, The ninth grade team at my school does an amazing project with very short narratives 
And so when I taught with them, I did it. And we used mentor text throughout the unit that students were doing close reads of, that they were analyzing along the way. And then those texts that they had already had a pretty good understanding of were then revisited for the purpose of imitation, for the purpose of using as a template, for the purpose of a mentor, right? So like that repeat is also just so good for student understanding and deeper learning. Bring them back, bring them back, bring them back. So bring them back, bring them back. I know I was going to get into the song too. Bring them back, bring them back. Yep. I mean, and then, you know, mentor text can be used in a lot of different ways. But I think when we're talking about specifically biography and memoir, but really like Even if we're doing like investigative writing, you know, like informational writing or argumentative writing, having a variety of mentor texts so that students can see a lot of different ways that writers write is key, in my opinion. If we only have one, maybe two texts that students are using as mentors, they lose perspective in the idea that they're just using it as a mentor versus as a copy because, I mean, you know, teenage brains, especially because like you and I are talking upper secondary, right? Yep. Like teenage brains will just hone in on like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to recreate this. It is in my experience, a little bit rare to find a student that really just intuitively gets like, oh, this is how that author did it. Here's what I can use from them. But here's my own voice in developing their own voice. They need to see a lot of different voices for the express purpose of taking what they can use from all of those different ones and then creating their own thing. It's hard and variety is key. I'm ready to share a couple of examples. You've got some really good examples and like, we're going to, let's just dive into those. The best examples I have other than the narratives I was just telling you about, which are, I mean, I can't even remember. Like, I think we used this, I believe maybe um, as, as like our mentor text. So we could listen and read and do all of that. But I've done it a lot with fiction. I mean, just talking about mentor text in general, fiction and creative writing, It's a really great way also to help students develop their voice, develop like just ideas and stuff to see a whole huge variety. Okay, let's dig into what you've got. And then our friends of the podcast have some amazing ideas. Yeah, so we're going to give you a ton of ideas. Today's an idea episode. So if you're driving, maybe this is a good place to pause until you've got a place to take some notes or you can get to the show notes because we want to just give you different ideas depending on the unit that you have in mind. Sometimes I know teachers will do like the memoir unit is not just memoirs, but like maybe a specific type, like maybe you're doing historical memoir or you're doing, you know, whatever that whatever your plan is, we've got variety here to help you line that up. So the first one that I recommend, you know, I think people might come at me a little bit, which is fine. Like, come on over. It took me about two and a half months to read, but Barack Obama's book, A Promised Land was, I mean, I know that reading any memoir of a president carries a political weight, especially one that's like Obama, right? So I I understand that. But from a writing perspective, and from the perspective of what the book has to offer, his writing is rhetorical analysis gold, which is not what we're here for. But his writing is just beautiful to analyze. And there's such a wide variety of things to pick from in that memoir. He goes through essentially like everything from his early days campaigning for the presidency up until about two years in, which is crazy because it's like that it took me so long to read. And like, there's, there's still a part two coming, which I don't know how I'll ever digest it. Um, But you've got all of these different like it's almost like his coming of age into politics. And that's from a subject perspective, a very cool thing to have students imitate and look at. And a lot of the things that he talks about are these 
behind the scenes moments. And so I think that a lot of the things that I've used before have, have spoken to tone. Um, he's got a very tongue in cheek kind of like, raw gritty tone which he doesn't always present that way you know in public he's very you know genial and very positive and smiley but like he's got an attitude that comes through in his writing so clearly that I think it's great to give kids that experience to see how you tell your story is really important especially if your audience reading it is expecting something and you want to correct the narrative like you want to make sure that the right thing is shared I I don't have a specific passage to give you other than it's worth a read. It's worth busting out the highlighters and post-it notes for. There are lots of little gems that are not even political. They're not even about issues. They're not about these hot button things. They're about being a person. They're about his marriage. They're about uh, paying rent. They're about, you know, things like that. And I think it's very well-written and a great imitation space for kids. Well, and that leads also back to one of the things we talked in an episode earlier in this series about how biography and memoir, specifically those nonfiction texts, are so good for the classroom because you don't have to have the whole entire thing. You don't have to have time for the whole entire thing. They're most often written in vignettes. They're most often written in standalone chunks that do like thread all together, but you can use little pieces. Like you said, okay, what else do you have? I have Bossy Pants by Tina Fey. Yeah, you do. This is a a great example of showing your students how to use humor. Mm -hmm. Every single, and her, her chapters are very, very short. And the Amy Poehler's Yes, Please, I would put those two in the same category in terms of being able to learn how writers use humor and it's different in memoir than it is in fiction. Like comedy and fiction is a whole nother ball game. So this is a great, these are two really readable ones. They're especially awesome if you're doing a unit that relates to media and or body image. Um, I can see that being a really, you know, an exploration of like, you know, looking in the mirror type of memoirs. There's a lot of those. Um, They would be great mentor texts for that type of subject. I have one to throw in to this little moment as well. It's, is everyone hanging out without me? (laughs) Mindy Kaling. By Mindy Kaling. It's so good. Yeah. Yes. Say, and hers is all written in little teeny tiny stories, but it's that same idea of like humor, sometimes self-deprecating humor, but yes. also just humor to make sense the world. Yes. And kids, kids think that that's going to be pretty easy. I mean, they, they right. think that they're hilarious and then they try to write it and they're, they're shocked at how difficult it is to be funny in writing. And so it's wonderful to have a few mentors on hand to say, here it is. How does it work? And they're like, wow, how did you make comedy not so funny anymore? It's like, well, when you have to explain and unpack right. the joke, but but you need to you need to be able to do that to be able to imitate it. Yeah. When you have to break it down, it does change a little bit. I know. Um, okay. What else is on your list? Okay. Beautiful. So my next item on the list is... Drum roll, please. Crying in H Mart. Why did it take me so long to read Crying in H Mart? Crying in H Mart is a great mentor text. Chapter one. I'll tell you right where you need to go is chapter one. And this chapter was originally published. The way that she got the book deal was that this essay was in the New Yorker. So chapter one is a New Yorker essay uh, by Michelle Zauner. And this essay was so amazing that she was offered, right? Like tell the whole story. And I just want to read you the first three sentences because your little creative writing heart is going to explode. Thinking about ways that students could imitate this and even use it 
I can see, and I haven't, I read this recently, not when I was in the classroom, uh, but I can see kids using this as a wonderful place to start for college essays. It's a great, okay, so I'll just read it. So she, she writes, ever since my mom died, I cry in H Mart. For those of you who don't know, H Mart is a supermarket chain that specializes in Asian food. The H stands for Hana Rum, which I'm definitely pronouncing wrong, a Korean phrase that roughly translates to one arm full of groceries. H Mart is where parachute kids go to get the exact brand of instant noodles that remind them of home. It's where Korean families buy rice cakes to make tagoguk, a beef soup that brings in the new year. It's the only place where you can find a giant vat of peeled garlic because it's the only place that truly understands how much garlic you'll need for the kind of food your people <laughs> eat. And it just keeps going, right? This is just like the first paragraph. She's got this beautiful way, and this is so hard for students to do with memoir, is zero in on something very specific, whether it's a food item, it's this grocery store, it's this is that symbolic representation of her mom and the loss of her mom has her lost in her Korean identity. Um, without the connections of her mother, she's forgotten and or, or is struggling to connect to the Korean side of her life. And this opening paragraph and chapter just lays out like in excessive detail, how much food and grocery shopping was part of their lives. And I love using that with kids to help them unpack um, all the different ways that they can do that with their own H Mart, their own grocery. Yeah, I was just say, so what, a cool, what a cool addition to a unit that's looking at identity. What a yes. cool, like how neat is that? Well, food and kids love food. That's another thing, right? When you choose a mentor yeah. text, are your kids going to gravitate toward it because of the content? And for us, I mean, come on, teenagers, that's all they think about other than, you know, gross things. But food, food is always on their mind. Always. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. I mean, and myself as well. Right? Where is yeah. the next vending machine? How am I going to get a snack? Yeah. I mean, they're- 100%. Yes. yes. I'm looking right now at my empty coffee going, I, <laughs> I could use some biscotti to go with my next cup. Yeah. You could. Okay. So that's, I have other things on my list that I'll have you put in the show notes, but I think for- our time. I'm going to wrap it up there and, and we'll hear what everyone else has to say. Okay. I love it. Well, friends, I mean, catch me on the side here while Amanda is talking, adding crying in H Mart to my uh, Amazon cart and a couple other that were just uh, suggested I'm going to take a look at as well. So the audible the is thing, read by the author. If you're an yeah, audible. That book. is the coolest part, I think. I know. And that's something actually like future episode maybe that I want to add into some of my units. Like I have a unit on identity for my ethnic literature class that like, oh my gosh. I think it would be really smart to like be able to put full on memoir. Like we definitely look at excerpts and things, but heck, maybe I'll just pull in some audio clips of some of these memoirs. Well, you already heard me butcher so, so much of the Korean. Like the, it's really nice to hear the author speaking everything, how it's supposed to be pronounced. Well, and Especially again, when we're talking about yeah. yeah, so when we're talking about authentic voice and we're talking yes. about like author's perspective, yes. then like it's it it is it is nice to hear it from the author themselves. Okay, friends, that is where we are going to leave you in the hands of some of our esteemed colleagues and friends of the podcast. We are so grateful always for our friends who join us today. We can't wait for you to hear some of these ideas. That is also what has got my mind just kind of like bubbling up today, some of the ideas you're about to hear. So without any further ado, please enjoy our guest contributors today, and we will catch you at the end of the episode. 
Hey there, Beth Hall here. You might know me as Coach Hall Writes over on YouTube. I'm an AP Lang teacher from Arkansas, and in my AP Language and Composition class, we read several shorter works of nonfiction in order to help my juniors prepare for the AP Lang exam. And thinking about all the passages that deal with the topic of biography or memoir, there are so many great ones to choose from. But one of my favorites is a speech by Sonia Sotomayor called A Latina Judge's Voice. She actually delivered this speech in 2001 at the University of California Berkeley School of Law when she was an appeals court judge. I think the passage could be very accessible for a range of high school English classes, but for those that might already teach AP Lang, an excerpt of this speech was actually used on the 2022 AP Lang exam. So if you're looking for something that is relatively short, perhaps something that you could work into a unit about identity, then I think this speech is a great option. Throughout her speech, Sotomayor tackles the topic of identity and what it means to be Latina. She also includes details of the foods and customs of her Puerto Rican culture and builds to this discussion about identity in America, mentioning the analogies of the melting pot and the salad bowl. One of the things that I love about this speech is that it sparks a conversation about the history of identity in America. Even though she delivered the speech over 20 years ago, students still find value in her message and can apply it to conversations about American history and current events. From a rhetorical analysis standpoint, we discuss the rhetorical situation. I like to use the acronym SPACE, which stands for Speaker, Purpose, Audience, Context, and Exigence. So in class, we'll talk about who Sotomayor is as a speaker and what we can infer about her values as that is tied to one of the AP Lang standards. We'll also discuss how Sotomayor tailors her speech to her audience of UC Berkeley Law students. One of my favorite things to do with this speech is to also talk about the rhetorical choices and to get students to think about why the details and the metaphors are particularly effective. We also talk about structure and her message. So there's lots to work with, even though it is a relatively short passage. Also, there are some great ways to extend this beyond just rhetorical analysis. So for example, you could incorporate this into a Socratic discussion, or if you're interested in creative writing or personal narratives, after you have students read and analyze the speech, you could have them write a response about their own identity or culture. This could actually be a great way to learn more about your students. Hi there, this is Meredith Dobbs from Bespoke ELA. And I'm super excited to be on this podcast with two of my teacher pals and teacher friends and just be a part of all the amazingness happening at Brave New Teaching. And so Amanda reached out to me and asked me to share a, a memoir that I love to use in my classes. And when I went to do research just recently on this this person who wrote the memoir, Paul Ruseza Bagina. I just found out he's been arrested and he's in prison. He was sentenced to 25 years in jail for uh, based on terrorism charges, essentially just being a political dissident. But just a little background about Paul Ruseza Bagina, just so you kind of get who he is and uh, what his book ultimately is about. If you've ever seen the film Hotel Rwanda, with Don Cheadle, that is about Paul Rusesa Bagina's life. So during the Rwandan genocide of 1994, which occurred 
over a hundred days. So it only lasted a hundred days. And during that time period, apparently the Hutu militia majority started killing the Tutsi minority ethnic group. So essentially it was ethnic cleansing that took place. And approximately 500,000 to 660 something thousand people were killed, either hacked to death with machetes or shot with rifles and about a half million or 500, yeah, about a half million women were raped. It was terrible. But an ordinary man named Paul Rusesa Bagina, which is the title of his memoir, An Ordinary Man, was able to save about a thousand plus people by quote unquote hiding them in the hotel, Hotel de Mille Collines, where he was the manager. There was apparently significant UN presence there, not that they were armed or anything. There was no international intervention in the Rwandan genocide when it occurred, but he allowed Tutsi guests to stay there and essentially offered them protection because it was a, you know, high class hotel. It had UN presence and he himself was married to a Tutsi wife. And he had to sneak his wife and children out of Rwanda and got them to Belgium before the genocide really took off and took hold. So he was able to save his own family, but also saved other people. Now, in hindsight, of course, his account of things has been questioned. And some people say that, you know, as a Hutu, he was really terrible to guests at the hotel who were Tutsi and forced them to pay for their bills and their food and all these kinds of things have popped up. So where the truth lies in all of that, I don't know. But I will tell you that this is a book that I have used for years in a couple of different ways as a high school English teacher. Um, it certainly is a, a book you can connect to the Holocaust if you are teaching night and you are looking at anything to do with Elie Wiesel and his life story and that um, ethnic cleansing that happened. It was so awful and terrible. And this is another example of that happening, but much later in history in 1994. And then also for connecting to dis civil disobedience. I, for one, am a huge uh, advocate for people who practice civil disobedience to stop horrendous things like genocide or change horrible laws like Rosa Parks did. And so Paul Rosé Sabina took a huge risk in protecting people, these people, because it could have cost him his own life, but he did it anyway. And I find such honor and courage in that. I also use this for the very end, the very, very end of his memoir where he goes into his reflection. And I use it as an example ending to a personal narrative essay or even to a college essay. And so I just want to read to you a little part of his end and just to hear the power of his words and just let them sink in. He writes, let me tell you the most important thing I learned about evil. Evil is a big, ugly, hulking creature. It is a formidable enemy and a frontal attack, but it is not very smart and not very fast. You can beat it if you can slip around its sides. Evil can be frustrated by people you might think are weaklings. Quiet, ordinary people are often the only people with the real ability to defeat evil. They can give it the Rwandan no.
Hi there, it's Caitlin Mitchell here from EB Academics, as well as the Teaching Middle School ELA podcast. And I'm excited to talk to you about a favorite autobiography mentor text that you can use in your middle school classroom for teaching descriptive imagery. So this is from Gary Soto's The Pie, and it's from his collection of autobiographical essays called A Summer Life. And these essays are all about Soto's childhood and his teenage years, and you can just do a quick Google search, you'll be able to find it. And so Gary Soto's The Pie is an autobiographical essay about a time when Soto stole an apple pie as a child. So it is a great mentor text, for teaching students to use vivid imagery in their narrative writing. You know, sometimes students feel like they're writing in a descriptive way when really the imagery is like all in their heads and it's not making it to the paper the way that we want it to for our students. So in Gary Soto's particular essay, he addresses all five senses in this short personal narrative. And he really does it in such an elegant way that young readers are really drawn in to what he's saying. I just want to leave a little note about this particular mentor text, depending on the level of students you're using it with. The word hell is used in the first paragraph. So some teachers may want to skip that paragraph if it's going to be too big of a deal for younger students. You know, my seventh and eighth graders, high school students, not a problem. Um, but if you teach anything younger than that, just want to call that to your attention. So anyways, this is a great activity to use as students are writing their own narratives, right? So they can use Soto's writing to create imagery for their narratives that they're working on. So we like to start this activity with a mini lesson on imagery, you know, explaining to students that imagery doesn't just paint a picture in the reader's mind. That's not all it does, right? It can actually evoke every single sense, sight, (laughs) sound, taste, smell, and touch, like all of them. And because middle school and high school students can feel like the five senses are a little bit of like a preschool subject, or you learn that in kindergarten and first grade, we sometimes like to suggest that our teachers use the more scientific terms for describing the senses. So you might choose visual, auditory, gustatory, olfactory, tactile imagery to use those terms instead. Just a little side note, kind of stops that eye rolling and increases student buy-in, right? We're elevating them to kind of the next level. So after that quick mini lesson, you'll pass out the pie and you'll read it out loud with your students. And as you're reading, you know, have students highlight the different types of imagery with different color highlighters for the five different senses. And, you know, write down the types that they are addressing in the margins of the text so they can have like a key with the different color highlighters. So we discuss the examples as a class and then we'll create like an imagery chart. And here students will write down one example for each of the five senses. Then they can create their own examples of imagery using Soto's examples as their mentor sentences. This is super cool, right? This is where it's really helpful if students are working on their own narratives, right? Because then they can use the topic of their narrative in their examples. And if they like what they've written, right, they can then add it into their own narratives. So we absolutely love this activity at EB Academics because it shows students how to read like writers and write like readers, right? So after this activity, you are going to notice much more vivid descriptions in your students' writing. So let us know if you use this. Hopefully you and your students absolutely love it.
Listeners, can we all just give a resounding like thank you to our friends who contributed today? I sound effects. Sound effects. Thank you. Um, I know everybody's like, Marie, please stop singing all the time. Uh, I love, I mean, we always talk about it here. I love hearing from other colleagues who I respect and especially those who I wouldn't normally be able to hear from, right? Like when the school year starts, as we talked about at the beginning of this episode, I, my social media use cuts way back. My like consumption of other people's content cuts back. And so being able to bring little snippets here and there that are collaborations is something that Amanda and I have talked about a lot, friends, so that we can bring you some more things that are really quick and easy and all packaged in one place. So we always appreciate when others help us do that. And they're just so good. Like they're just such gems in their brains. I love it. Gems in their brains. I love it. And I, you know, we are so excited about our upcoming festival. We hope that you've already registered and gotten yourself, you know, downloaded your workbook and you're ready to go. You're just sitting eagerly anticipating the next festival. And while you're doing that, you know, some of the things we want you to think about will be from this episode, you heard a lot of samplers. It was a sampler platter platter of sorts. You got your little Mm -hmm. egg roll, you got your crab rangoon, you got your mott sticks, you got everything here. Somebody's hungry. Um, so somebody's ready for lunch back, when we're done recording. Yes. Back to food again. But thinking about, you know, what could your unit look like? And if you're not ready for a full-on memoir unit, how could any of these pair as supplementals to something else that you're doing in fiction? There's nothing that says you can't read some memoir and look at some excerpts of things during your other units to help broaden that essential question and things like that. So hopefully you took good notes and you're going to come check out more of what we have to share with you at the festival. Absolutely. And stay tuned for next week's episode where we talk about student writing and we kind of bring it all home for this series and really get ready because actually, as you are listening, the festival starts next week. And we are very, very excited to bring it to you. So head to the show notes, make sure that you sign up and you can get your little welcome thing with our intro lesson and all of that stuff already ready for you. (sighs) Friends, thank you for joining us this week. We cannot wait to see you virtually at the biography and memoir virtual workshop. We keep saying festival, even though we said we were going to call them virtual workshops. I know me too. And, uh, Yeah. With that, friends, we will see you next time. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Brave New Teaching. We'd love to keep the conversation going over on Instagram. And while you're there, check out the links in our bio for the most up-to-date events going on in the Brave New Teaching community. Thanks for being here and have a great week at school. 